0: Welcome to The Backpack, a podcast from Christ Community Church in Shelbyville, Kentucky. On The Backpack, we want to prepare you for the journey outside where
1: following Jesus meets real life. Hey, welcome to The Backpack. I'm one of your hosts, Josiah, and this is The Canteen. This is one of our regular segments here where we feature sermons from the preaching ministry here at Christ Community Church. This week we continue in our study of the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20. Let's listen in as Jeff brings us this week's message.
0: Well, good morning. Uh, for those you who don't know me, uh, my name is Jeff Brack, and I was a part of this church when it first launched uh, years and years ago as part of the church plant. But then my wife and I felt called to go help uh, plant Midland Community Church, and uh, but uh, that had a season, and now we're back here. And so I was honored and privileged when Blake asked me to go ahead and give the message for, for Sunday today. And so as you know, we're going through the Ten Commandments, and so he's asked me to preach on the Third Commandment. So we're going to look at Exodus 27. That's where we find this. Uh, so if we pull up Exodus 27, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Uh, when I went off to college, I went to Western Kentucky University. I was going to room with my best friend, my childhood friend that I grew up with. And I remember several people telling me, it's like, that's a bad idea. You shouldn't room with your best friend because it's not it's not going to work out. You're not going to have the same relationship um, by, by the end of your college experience. And I'm happy to say they were wrong. Uh, we had a great relationship, a fantastic friendship that, that strengthened and solidified. But we'll say we had two fights, right? Right. In in our years in college being roommates, we had two fights, one over caramel apples. We're in a dorm room, he's sitting in the chair, and I'm standing next to him, and we had a a pack of three caramel apples, and I ate one, he ate one, there's one left over. Now I know you could think you could just split it in half, uh, but we're college students in a dorm room, there's no knife to cut this caramel apple in half, and so I actually did want it. But I was trying to be selfless, and so I told him, I said, hey, if you won that last caramel apple, like, it's yours. You can have it. And he said, no, nah, man, it's, it's yours. You, you can take it. It's all you. And knowing my friend, my friend is a very selfless person, extremely selfless. So I just felt like he was just trying to be nice, right? And so I said, no, nah, man, like, seriously, like, it, it's all good. You can have it, right? And he takes it, and he throws it in the trash can. And so I, I hit him in the back of the head. And then that escalated into an actual fight. We fought because we were being too nice to each other, right? Um, now, that fight has nothing to do with the sermon. Uh, it's the second fight that does. The second fight involved, uh, we had outside of a dorm, we had like a little, a little mini whiteboard, right? So we, we could write on it like, you know, uh, where we're going to be that day, whatever. So we, just, was, we were just a little dry erase marker right on it. We're getting ready to uh, leave... For Christmas break. And so I had wanted to, this is our freshman year. So I had wanted to leave like a, a gospel message for the people on our, on our dorm floor. All right, I Lived on the ninth floor of Bemis at Western Kentucky University. And so I wrote out this, this whole message about the gospel and the, and the birth of Christ and, and that uh, a savior was needed, a savior was promised, and a savior was born. And I'm writing out this message, but it was a small board. And so I had to abbreviate some words. And so I abbreviated Christmas and I put X mus and my roommate, my best friend, was very upset by that. He said, you took Christ out of Christmas. And I said, bro, the whole message is about Christ. I didn't take Christ out of anything. The whole message, he, no, you took Christ out of Christmas. And he couldn't let that go. And we fought over that. That escalated into a full-blown fight. Now, over the years, you know, you you get convicted. and People talk about, like, you know, humbling yourself, admit your fault. And I would think back to that, that moment. And I would think back to, do I need to humble myself? And I'd just be like... No, the whole message was about Christ. I didn't take Christ out of anything, right? I just couldn't get over that. The, the reason why I feel that connects to today okay, is, is I genuinely, this is a genuine prayer of mine. As I plan the sermon, I think, you know, I think the most when we talk about using the Lord's name in vain, the most the, the thing we most like think of is, oh, my God. And I and I could really fear that there might be you know if I say that phrase because I'm trying to communicate something this message someone's going to be like you're using the Lord's name in vain right now as you preach um, and so I really am praying that that you see past the literal words and into the heart of the message right just so I can effectively communicate right so I really am praying that so I'm gonna pray for uh, for the message this morning and let's see what God's got for us Father God we thank you God we thank you uh, for these Ten Commandments as a guide for our life to to know that there's something beyond just these these list of rules and do's and don'ts and and that there is some truth behind it some truth that protects us um being made in your image God and so we pray for the message you have for us of what does it what does it mean to honor your name and what does that mean for us and how does that help us live fruitful lives in Jesus name we pray amen something about uh these 10 commandments you know, the second and third commandments, so so we did the second last week, third today, they're the only two commandments out of the 10 that that have some kind of statement of punishment that goes with it, right? And the third is explicitly direct, right? It's that the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. When you look at all the other commandments, uh, there's no like specific punishment attached to that, right? And, and I have to wonder if this is this direct, explicit statement, did it have to be included in order for people to take it seriously? Because after all, if you think about it, do not murder, like obviously, oh my gosh, you're taking, you're taking a life away, right? But but what about a name? What's so bad about that, right? And so for me, I know it, it was there for me to take it more seriously. When Blake first asked me to preach on this, um, it's amazing how hypersensitive I became to using the Lord's name in vain. How how much more I was thinking about it in the last couple of months, just catching myself saying these phrases, right? Oh my god. And I'm like, wait, don't, did I just say that? Like, I have I always been like that, right? It made me a lot more sensitive to us. And and so I hope this sermon makes us realize just how much we do fall short. Not to shame you, right? I mean, every message and sermon should ought to convict us to some degree, right? But really, because of learning out of this, how it will push you to praise him even more and to understand even more so why we elevate his name so that he will become greater and we will become less. And and for this, I want to get some context, some New Testament context around the commandments. Paul, the Apostle Paul writes a lot in Romans about the the book of law and the commandments. So I want to point to Romans chapter 2, verse 14 through 15. And here Paul writes, he says, indeed, when Gentiles, right, the non-Jews who do not have the law, right? Because the Ten Commandments were given to Moses, to the Israelites, to the Jews, right? The Gentiles do not have that written law. So indeed, when Gentiles do not have the law, do by nature things required by the law. They are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote a book called Mere Christianity, and in this book he argues for the case of God and in the case of Jesus, and he starts with the premise that you have to acknowledge there is a creator, there is a God, because of the laws of morality. And he essentially argues that everybody knows in their heart right and wrong. That if you take someone that grows up in the desert all by themselves, no influence of society at all, and some random stranger comes and steals that person's food, he's going to feel wronged. No one had to teach him that what's wrong. You're just going to feel that there's something wrong about that, right? That's essentially what Paul is communicating in Romans, that these Gentiles, they don't have this written law that we have, but they have it in their hearts. They know right and wrong, right? And so, basically, we know intuitively when we do wrong in our hearts, right? But the written law is what holds us accountable. It's what leaves us without excuse, and it's and it's what leaves us without ignorance. We can't say, "Oh, I didn't know," right? It, it holds us accountable, right? And the thing is, Paul writes later on in Romans seven. He talks about uh, in Romans seven. He talks about how Christ set us free from the law. We're no longer bound by these commandments, bound by the written code. Christ set us free, and in that freedom, we live according to the Spirit. But the Spirit is still rooted in truth, and the law brings truth. And he writes about how the commandments made him realize the extent of his sin. And so even though intuitively we know right and wrong, he said the law still like, it made us hyper aware of just how sinful he was. He even referenced in Romans 7 the commandment, do not covet. And he said, I did not truly understand what that meant, do not covet, until it was written into law. And the thing is, commandments 5 through 10 deal with uh, the impact of our relationship with other people. Right, do not steal, do not murder, commit adultery. That deals with our impact and our relationship with other people, which we can readily see. We can see that impact, we can feel that impact when it's done to us. But commandments one through four deals on the impact of our relationship with God, which we can't readily see. And so that's why I think maybe it's it's worth noting that commandments one through four offer some more detail and some more description and statements of consequences. Because we need to realize that there is an impact of our relationship with God. And so just as Paul talks about he didn't realize truly what do not covet means until it's written in the law, I think for us, that's what the third commandment is for us today. Do not use the Lord's name in vain. I don't think we truly understand the truth behind it. Because cultural complacency has reduced our creator to a gimmick phrase. Right? Oh my God. Or even more recently, you know, being a high school teacher, you know, the slang on God. We have reduced our creator to gimmick phrases. And so you got to think, what's in a name? And that's kind of how I frame the sermon. What's in a name? And I think the first thing that's in a name, it's a name carries respect. A name carries respect. I've been a high school teacher. It's my 15th year. And there's something I've learned about names, um, Students will feel disrespected or they don't like it when you mispronounce their name and when you misspell their name. Just last week, I had a student in my first period say, Mr. Bracken, you misspelled my name on this paper. The C-A-R-L-Y, not E-Y, right? Had to let me know I misspelled the name. And let me tell you, when you get some uh, non-English speaking students with foreign sounding names and a hearing impairment, they do not mess well at all. And there have been plenty of times in the past where I spend that first day of school, I spend like five minutes trying to understand how to pronounce their name. And then you get the rest of the class start yelling at you, it's Iriani. And I'm like, ah, right? It bothered even me. I get bothered when my students misspell my name because they'll be like, I emailed you. never emailed me back. I'm like, oh, I don't see an email from you. And we get in their little email history. You spell my name wrong. My name is J-E-F-F-R-E-Y, not E-R-Y. It's Jeffrey, not Jeffery, right? And it bothers me. Last year, I had a student who one day said, you look like an Andy. I'm going to start calling you Andy. I'm like, don't call me Andy. I'm, n- do not call me Andy. She started calling me Andy like every day. It bothered me. So I just started calling her a different name. I said, well, you look like a Lindsay." So now we just call each other Andy and Lindsay, right? So there is respect attached to a name. I mean, even a sign of respect by, by how you identify your name, like honorable so-and-so for a judge, Mr. and Mrs. so-and-so or Dr. so-and-so. I mean, even my wife and I, we ought to do our homework sometimes when we go to someone's house. So just this past weekend, we went to Detroit to surprise a friend of mine uh, through some ministry I did in Detroit, and I wanted to surprise him, and uh, on the way, they, they've they had two kids since we've last seen them, and on the way, Mary's like, Jeff, we, do you know the kids' names? No. You better get on Facebook right now and start digging around and trying to find their name because the last thing we want to do is show up and not know their kids' names, right? I mean, we understand, and this happens all the time. She makes me do some homework, find people's names, because it's disrespectful to not know someone's name, especially when you're in some kind of relationship with them, right? That's just a point for us as a church. How are we as a church as we meet people? Are we being intentional about knowing names? And some names are so respected, so revered, so sacred, that cultures refrain from using the name, because if you do, it's punishable by death. There was the case of a British teacher uh, named Gibbon, Miss Gibbons, she taught English in Sudan at a, at a school she was teaching English. And this is a predominantly Muslim community. And they had a, a class teddy bear and, and they agreed to name the teddy bear Muhammad. And so to, to reduce such a, a sacred name in the Muslim culture, to reduce that to a teddy bear was a punishable crime. She was arrested. Uh, she had protests outside her home to, for her to be executed and beheaded. The actual punishment by law was to receive 40 lashes by a whip. Now, Great Britain negotiated her release, but that's how serious they, uh, they respected and revered the name Muhammad. And Muhammad didn't even claim to be God. He didn't even claim to be God, and they respect the name that much. Meanwhile, when we look at our culture, man, God is routinely, routinely reduced to cultural mockery. And stand-up comedy and TV shows and movies, we see it all the time in our culture. God reduced to a mockery. Our everyday vocabulary has devalued the concept of God, right? When we say, like, oh, my God, like in amazement, we're eating something delicious. Oh, my God, it's so good. And we do that without giving credit to God. Or we say, oh, my God, in disbelief when God has given us every reason to believe. Or, oh, my God, when we see something horrible happen, like a car accident or something, we say, oh, my God. And the thing is, that's when we should be saying, oh, my God. We actually should be calling on God in prayer over something horrible that has happened, something we witnessed. We should be calling. Even Christ on the cross called out to God that way. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He called on God in prayer. And so the thing is, our culture is so used to that just being used in vain that I guarantee you, if I genuinely saw something and was horrified by it and was calling on God in prayer and said, oh my God, and was being genuine in my heart about it, there's going to be someone right next to me going, you just used the Lord's name in vain. That's how used we are to these cultural complacencies with these gimmick phrases. And so what respect should we be giving God's name? Now, I think for this, we ought to go to the encounter with Moses in Exodus 3. After all, the Ten Commandments was given, right, to Moses. So let's look at this first encounter when Moses... Uh, right, he encounters God in the burning bush and God reveals to him, I want you to go and free my people out of slavery in Egypt. And if we look at Exodus 3, verse 13 through 15. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? And what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Now, this was in response to Moses asking who he was. Right. He said, well, God, who am I to go to Pharaoh and demand he free the people? And God shifts the attention to who he is. He gives him his name. Right. Right. Now, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians fifteen ten. he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Right? Paul writes that, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And God tells Moses, I am who I am. And that is what will make Moses what he will be, a rescuer. So we are what we are because he is who he is. And in verse 15, this is the first time in the Old Testament that God reveals his personal name. Kind of like saying I am is the verb of his name. But in verse 15, he gets the noun of his name, his personal name. And it translates the word is Yahweh. If you notice, um, anytime you read through the Old Testament, whenever you see the word Lord in all caps, that is the the translator author's way of signifying that this is when the word Yahweh is used and not another form of God. All right. And so Yahweh is used over 6,800 times in the Old Testament, and that's when they used it to reference God's personal name. Right. Now, there's been some videos that have come out in the last several years. that It's really cool, right? Uh, but they suggest that Yahweh is pronounced, right? They talk about the pronunciation. They say it's almost pronounced like you breathe in and you breathe out, like an ex- inhale and exhale,
1: Yahweh.
0: <gasps> And the idea is that every time you breathe, you're actually calling on God's name. But if you look at some Hebrew uh, experts, they say the reality is they don't really know how Yahweh is pronounced because the Israelites revere the name so much that they wouldn't utter the words. They wrote it in the Old Testament, but they wouldn't speak it because they revere the name so much. So even though we can't say for sure that it sounds like, like breathing, right? But it is suggested that Yahweh literally translates as he brings into existence whatever exists. So with that, we look at Acts 17, 25, all right, Acts 17, 25, neither is he, God, served by human hands as though he needed anything, for he alone gives everyone life, breath, and everything else. He breathes into existence that which exists. That's what Yahweh means. He gives us breath. And life and everything else. That is why we put respect on his name, right? We put respect on his name because we are what we are only by him being who he is. Every breath we breathe should be a sign of giving God credit. Should be referencing his name and his holy honor. Every breath we take should not be done in vain. That misuses his name as our creator. And of course, naturally you have some, and some of you may in here very, may very well feel, well, I don't even enjoy the life I live. (laughs) Life is hard. Life is difficult. Maybe that's why we ought to look at the second thing that a name carries. A name carries relationship. Uh, One of my nicknames, it's kind of, kind of weird for people here for the first time. They kind of raise an eyebrow and say, what? One of my nicknames in my school is uh, Brack Daddy. Now. This nickname was given to me, uh, and some, like, sometimes when I have a student that's late to class, I make them say the password to get in, and the password is Brack Daddy, and it makes them so uncomfortable, right? But I got this nickname because of years ago, when I had a, a certain class that uh, wanted me to get a Snapchat, they loved some of the stories I told in class, said, so we got to follow some of these stories in your Snapchat, you got to take pictures of your kids when you tell these stories. So they created a Snapchat account for me, and they nicknamed my Snapchat account was Brack Daddy, right? followed by a number. That was just a the nickname they gave me, but it signified a relationship that I had, a certain bond I had with this class. There was a bond that was very valued and cherished, right? And so, a nickname, that nickname signified the relationship I had with them. We also see that in the account with Moses in Exodus chapter 3, again, 13 through 15, when, when God said, I am. Who I am. When we see that phrase I am, it reveals certain relationship characteristics about God in our lives. First, that is that I am means that He is living. He is a living God. He exists. I exist. I am living. I breathe. I speak. And it's ludicrous. It's crazy that God, through Moses, had to establish that carving out idols is wrong. Why would you want to praise a false God that doesn't even live amongst you? God is living second thing when we see the word the phrase i am that means he's eternal i am means that he is eternal he always was he always is and he always will be his name will never change even for us our name goes through changes and how we are called by people goes through changes depending on relationship when you get married some people's name changes You get divorced maybe your name changes again when you become a parent your name becomes mom and dad for those kids Or grandpa and grandma, or in my case, my parents, Grammy and Boompa. Our names sometimes change to signify the relationship we have with certain people in certain times of our lives. But God's name stays the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, no matter who you are. He is I am to everyone. Right? And then lastly, I would say a third thing we find out about I am is it signifies that he is personal. He is relational. I mentioned that the word Yahweh is used 6,800 times in the Old Testament. But there's another translation that the Israelites came up with for God to represent just God as the Father in general, God Elohim. And Elohim is is often the the Hebrew word that Israelites will still use when they say God because it's too sacred to, to utter the name Yahweh for them. Now, when Elohim is used in the Old Testament, you see this a lot in the book of Psalms. Elohim is used when it's talking about God of the universe, God of creation, God of the heavens, right? So when we talk about God as God of the universe, uh, it's Elohim. But whenever it's talking about God as God of us, of God of people, of God of humans, that personal relationship, that's when Yahweh is used. His personal name is used in reference when it's talking about God's relationship to us. It reminds me of a common, I worked at this uh, camp called Camp Lucon one summer when I was in college, it was a Christian camp, and, and I remember talking with this guy named Asa, and we were just sitting around the campfire, and he said, you know, last night I had a very distinct, when he felt a very distinct conversation with God, he said, I was out on, the, out on the dock, out on the lake, perfect clear night, so I could see all the stars, I could see the galaxies, and I was just staring in amazement at all that God created, and he said, I audibly heard God tell me but I can't commune with the stars. I commune with you. How much more God desires that relationship with us because he communes with us, right? If we look at Matthew 15, verse eight through nine, okay? we look at Matthew 15, eight through nine. It said these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. So I once heard this analogy about marriage. I like this. Someone said, he said, if, if you're married, but you don't live in the same home. Technically, you're married. You can say you're married, but you don't live in the same home. I don't know if I trust the heart of that marriage. Are we treating God the same way when we call on his name with lip service? But are we actually truly married to him in this relationship with him? That So that when we say his name, it's not just lip service. That we're not just worshiping in vain because the thing is not only did yahweh say to moses i am but right before that when moses said who am i to go and do this he said i will be with you so i am will be with you but for moses to commune with god in that way he had to respond to the call he had to live that out he had to respond in obedience right and if yahweh is a personal name for us a personal essentially a personal level right it's a it's an invitation to us so will you give him obedience of your heart or just lip service? If it's just lip service, then, then you are using the Lord's name in vain. It's obedience of the heart and how we live our life, right? It's, 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 this was the issue Jesus had with the Pharisees, right? If you look through the New Testament, everything, all the issues you had with the Pharisees was that they were all lip service, but they did not have the heart of following and pursuing after God. Which is why we need to get into the third aspect of a name. A name carries a reputation. A name carries a reputation. It's another thing as a teacher, you know, that, that week before school starts, you, look, all the teachers in here, you, you know you do this. You pull up the roster and you see who's in the roster and you see what students you're about to have and you're trying to see if, for one, do you recognize any names? And you see a name, you go, oh, I had their sibling five years ago. Oh, man, this brother was a nightmare, right? And already you have made an assumption about that student, and I tell you what, a lot of times it's not even it doesn't even pan out the same way. Like, like a lot of siblings are polar opposites, but every year I fall into the same trap. And go, oh man, that that oh man, when I had a sister, oh she was awesome. This is going to be great having. And then I get that student, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're so difficult, right? Jeez, right? Names carry a reputation. They carry a reputation. Even even uh, when my wife was pregnant. Um, with the first child and we're talking about some names. There were some names that we could not name. My wife would not allow us to name that child because she worked daycare and Kyle was in daycare and Kyle made her life a living nightmare every day. There's no way my child would be named Kyle, right? Names carry a reputation. Whenever we see, you know, let's say a child, we see a child acting out in a classroom, acting out at a sporting event, you know, terrible sportsmanship or whatever it is. Our first instinct is to judge the parents. Is it not? That child wasn't raised right. The name they carry carries the reputation of the family and of the parents, right? And the same is true for us because we are heirs to the throne. We are God's children. If my son, I'm going to the name, if my son's going to wear Bracken on his jersey... He's an athlete, loves playing sports. If he's going to wear Bracken on his jersey, or if my daughter who's in a theater is going to have the name Bracken next to her picture in the play brochure, I fully expect them, fully expect them to live according to the Bracken values that we have for our family, which is to live Christ-like. And if they don't, I'll deny them. I have, look, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a time when I did deny my son. Now now I feel bad for my son because now he's too old to be in the back. So now whenever I tell stories, he's probably sitting there going, why, 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 right? When my son was, I don't know if he was three or four, but we were at Simpsonville Parks and Rec for soccer tryouts. And so this is our first day out there and all the kids are out there running around. They haven't even started yet. They're all just kicking balls around. It's a whole crowd. And Mary and I are setting up our chair up on the the little hill. And all of a sudden you see all the kids scatter. And then there's my son uh, right there in the middle with his pants down peeing into the soccer goal. And, and I remember I I turned to Mary, we turned to each other and very audibly said, whose kid is that? Right. I, I do not want that reputation. Right. Now, it's another time, uh, we were in Subway over here, and, and he was young, and this elderly lady came in, and it was, Easter had just happened, and asked if the Easter Bunny visited, and my son dropped his pants and some moon hurt right in the middle of Subway. And and we were the only adults in there, so I had I couldn't deny him then. Like, I had to admit he was mine. And But it carried a reputation for us. What are you doing, right? So, when, when we think about how we live, carries a reputation, right? I mean, I, I even remember... Uh, time door salesman if there's a door-to-door salesman in here i I apologize um they're difficult (laughs) and and i remember one time i i I did not act holy let's just say that right and and after just just leave me let's shut the door in the face and i remember i turned around and i literally thought to myself i hope this person never sees me at a church or leading a bible study (laughs) because i did not act honorably according according to god because I tarnished God's reputation there. I did not even want that person to know I was a believer. All right. God is our father. And just as when we look at children, how they act, and we judge parentings, well, God is being judged by our actions. His name, his reputation is at stake by how we live. Right. We are called as heirs and we're baptized. We just saw a couple of baptisms. We are baptized into the name of of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How are we living our life? Because when we live inappropriately according to His name, His reputation is hurt. If we look at Second Corinthians 5, 20-21, it says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ has made us righteous, but we are still his ambassadors, which means we are still a reflection of his name. And we, we do not reflect God's name as he should be reflected. We use his name in vain. Romans two twenty four says it so clearly. As it is written... This is again when Paul was was writing about the code and the written law and, uh, and the Gentiles still know what's right and wrong. And then he said this, as it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. The Gentiles blaspheme against God because of how you live, because of your actions, because of your false representation of carrying the name of God, because you are witnesses of Yahweh. Right? We also use his name in vain when we don't honor God's reputation ourselves. When we don't recognize the, the due diligence God has had in our lives. And when you look all through the Old Testament, the entire Old Testament is nothing but the Israelites dishonoring God's name because they forget what God has done for him. God has established a reputation of always keeping his promises, of always holding his covenant, and, and they constantly forget it. So I thought it might be worth just looking at, one incident right before the 10 commandments was given so just a few chapters before in exodus 17 verse 7 what's happening here is, is god has delivered them out of slavery what a wonderful amazing thing to give god credit for right but then how quickly they they disregard that reputation god has made for his name by delivering them out of slavery and now they're complaining about being too thirsty so God tells Moses to strike a rock and let water come out, so they drink. But then we see here in verse 7, right? Moses named the place, i read it up here. Moses named the place Masa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord. That's all kept. This is Yahweh. They tested their personal, their personal God, Lord, Yahweh, saying, Is Yahweh among us or not? They use Yahweh's name in vain because they actually question, is Yahweh even with us? Yahweh just delivered you out of slavery. Yahweh has already proven himself to you. And already, you don't think Yahweh is with you? Already, you don't think this living personal God that exists among you and is there for you and has already established his reputation for you, already you question that? So when we don't put our trust in Yahweh in our everyday life, we use his name in vain. So if we think about next steps for us, here's what I want us to think of as we close this out. Right. First, it's because God cares about how his name is represented, right? Because he cares how his name is represented because of the relationship he desires with others. Right? Then we got to realize that our actions give his name a reputation, Because God cares about how his name is represented to others who are not of the faith, who are not believers. God cares how his name is represented. We have to realize that our actions give his name a reputation. And then because God cares about how his name is used because of his relationship to us. To us within the church. To us who are part of the family. Because he cares about how his name is used because of his relationship to us. We need to reflect On how we respect his name. And then secondly, we need to re-engage our relationship to him as a living, eternal, and personal God. And this sermon only scratches the surface of all the ways we misuse his name in vain. And you know, that we're in your community groups, you're reading through a book. I mean, even if you read through that chapter, um, there's so many more ways that Jen Wilkins, the author of that book, offers ways that we use the Lord's name in vain to really make us aware of just how often we fall short. My hope was that I could at least show you why we should even care to elevate his name. But I, I will say, I missed this earlier. Jen Wilkins, that book, one, one sentence she, she made um, when we talk about his reputation. One statement she made that I love, she said, We can also misuse the name of the Lord by speaking hallowed words while living hollow lives. We definitely don't want to live hollow lives. And that's the importance of re-engaging your relationship to Jesus or to Yahweh as a living, an eternal, and personal God. And re-engaging that relationship with Yahweh can only be done through Jesus. Thanks be to God that despite we fall short all the time, despite how often we, we do dishonor God's name and do all these things, thanks be to God that He made a way for us to be righteous through His Son, Jesus Christ. Because in John eight fifty eight, he responded to the Pharisees, and he said, before Abraham was, I am. So Jesus also claims that I am title. And that's the only way to God. And that's the only way to be made righteous to God. And so... So I pray for us that those of you who have not put their faith into Christ, as we saw in the baptism this morning. And let me, let me kind of end on this. You want a good example of how a reputation can honor God's name? I had no idea Gracie Bradley was baptizing her dad, but Gracie was a student of mine. Right? So she has no idea. I'm getting ready to say this, but Gracie was a student of mine several years ago. And there's not a doubt in my mind that because of the integrity that she lives as a student, as a child, There's not a doubt in my mind that her dad saw that and that contributed to her dad giving his faith to Christ. Because Gracie carries herself in a way that honors God. And I know her dad sees that. And I I could guarantee you her dad would probably testify that that might have had a big thing to do. So the way we live honors God's name and brings him glory. The only way you can do that is to re-engage by connecting with Jesus. So that is my prayer for us today as we close out. Father God, we thank you for... Revealing yourself to us as a personal God for giving us your name. You had no business giving us your name. Your word says, as we pointed out in Acts 17, 25, there's nothing we can do to serve you. You were not served by human hands. You alone give us life, breath and everything else. We are at your mercy. And yet you chose to reveal us your personal name, Yahweh. You chose to reveal to us the I am That you are living, you are personal, you are eternal. You chose to make your name amongst us, even though it does nothing for you. Because you desire that relationship. And so God, I pray that we would be convicted to carry your name with a sense of respect. That we would engage with you to experience the relationship you offer in your name. So that we might elevate your reputation so that others can also see the truth of your name. In Jesus' name we
1: pray. Amen. Hey, Josiah again. Thanks for joining us at the canteen and listening to this week's message. We hope it was helpful to you and that you were encouraged and challenged as we set out this week to walk the walk of faith together. If you're a part of Christ's community, let's consider how we can practically apply this into our lives this week as we go outside to be the church. If you're not a member of Christ's community, we're so glad that you joined us. And we hope that this message was helpful to you as well. If you're in the Shelbyville area, we'd love to have you come out and join us. But wherever you are, find a local church, get plugged in, and experience Christian community as it was designed to be. Thanks for joining us this week. Grab your backpack and we'll see you on the trail. Thanks for listening to The Backpack, a production of Christ Community Church.
0: The Backpack is hosted by DJ Williams, Daniel Bright, and Josiah Ward. You can learn more about Christ Community Church at loveshelbyville.com.